Today we continue our uh, First Peter uh, sermon series, but before we get to that, uh, I just want to share with you, um, it's such an encouragement uh, to be a part of this church, uh, to see what God's doing through your generosity, see what God's doing through um, Meridian Elementary and that blessing project. Um, it's amazing to see people that are going to be baptized today in the river and uh, to claim Jesus as Lord and to see people be obedient to what his word says. Uh, it's just a huge encouragement. And then on top of that, uh, you know, Nathan and Joel, uh, first time that they've ever led worship and they're doing it here and they're taking the step of faith and they're being developed and discipled by other leaders here at the church uh, because we're a church that believes in developing people. Uh, where church believes in the process of becoming a servant and walking out what it means to follow Jesus and the call for their life. Um, such a huge encouragement. Would you agree this morning? Huge encouragement, yeah. That, that's just the stuff that um, comes to mind right now. That doesn't even include like all the other things that we don't know uh, that God is doing and the stories that are untold that God is doing. Um, a blessing to be a part of this movement with you guys. And uh, this is what I do know. God's just getting started on what he wants to do here. He's just getting started. I believe that. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, uh, turn to First Peter. And if you don't have your Bibles, that's okay. we got passages for you. Uh, I want to recap where we've been. Because it's going to be really important to know where we've been in order to uh, move forward in First Peter chapter 2. But first week we talked about the background of First Peter. And we talked about Peter specifically, and we talked about the theme of the letter. And the theme of the letter, the, the, the like thing that Peter comes back to over and over and over again, starts in verse 6 when he says this, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Peter's writing to a group of people that are dealing with significant trials, significant trials that are taking place. And he's going to talk about how to deal with those trials. But I want you to notice that he talks about that these trials have come to prove your genuineness of your faith. And then he uses this term of its greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire. That is a phrase that's used all throughout the Bible, refined by fire, that your faith is refined by trials. It's refined by fire. And it's this idea of when you try and bring impurities out of precious metals, what do you use? You use fire. Do you realize that it takes 2,010 degrees to get metals to get to a point of, of heat that it actually draws the impurities out of it? And Peter's using this analogy that your trials you're going through, it's, it's a fire that is bringing out the impurities of your faith. Are you tracking with me this morning? Does that make sense? This is what's found all throughout Scripture. Isaiah 48.10, Malachi 3.3, Zechariah 13.9. Look at these passages with me. See, I have refined you. Though not as silver, I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. Malachi 3.3. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Zechariah 13.9, that this third I will put into the fire, 
I'll refine them like silver and test them like gold. They will call on my name and I will answer them. I will say they are my people and they will say the Lord is our God. How does God refine us? How does he grow us? He does it through trials. And when we go through trials, it purifies, refines our faith. And Peter's reminding these believers, this is why you're going through what you're doing, that this is an opportunity for your faith to be refined, to be forged through fire. God promises to produce through your trials something far more valuable than gold. It's Christ-like character. It's drawing the impurities out and moving you towards Christ-like care, but it requires a surrender of your will. And Joe did a great job of talking about 1 Peter chapter 2, 9 and 10 last week. That they, yes, we go through trials, but, but in order to go through our trials, we have to understand our identity. We have to understand who we are. Verse 9, chapter 2, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Our identity is not in the things that we do. It's not in our job. It's not in our hobbies. Yes, we may enjoy those things, but your identity is tied to the goodness of Jesus that he died for you. Your life is now hidden with him and you live for him no matter the cost. We are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. The pastor is just not the pastor and I work through Jesus through the pastor and through the priest. No, you are a priest. You have a relationship with Jesus. You're called to be on mission with him. That's your identity. And your identity is tied to verse 11 and 12. He said, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives. This is important for the rest of the day. Catch this. Live such good lives among the pagans, unbelievers, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. You are a nation of people that through the work Jesus is doing in you serves as an example of the outworking of Jesus in the world and for others around you. You are a new person. You are a priest. And your job is to be a light and a bridge to the rest of the world, to the unbelievers. So, how do we live that out? I'm be really honest with you. Today's passage is hard for me to wrestle with, personally. For a lot of you today, you're not going to like what Peter has to say. You're not going to like it. And here's the thing. If we are disciples of Jesus... This is his written word to us. This is God's written word to us. Amen? Amen? So when we read things we don't like, we have a choice. To wrestle with it. Wrestle with God. Or to then go, well, I don't think it means that. I think it means this. And to try and translate it so that it would fit your agenda. Right? But will we be disciples of Jesus that humbly look at God's word and surrender to what it has to say. And there's going to be lots of great conversation in home group this week about what that looks like, right? 
If you're not connected to a home group, you need to get connected to a home group. So what is Peter saying? Let's take a look. First Peter, verse 13, chapter 2. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as a supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is by God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Honor the emperor. You might be thinking right now, there's no way that Peter would suggest that if we were living with our current administration, that that's what he would want us to do. Some of you might be thinking, there's no way that Peter would suggest that if we're living with our past administration that he would want us to do this. We're talking about the emperor. You remember the emperor we were talking about two weeks ago? Nero. The guy who's crucifying Christians and lighting them on fire as lampposts for the city at night. And Peter's saying... Honor the emperor. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. What is Peter saying? The world needs to see disciples of Jesus walk honorably and submit to the Lord by submitting to authority. Why? God has always set up the world for him to work through human beings, to work through People. It's been like that since the very beginning. And if you remember in Genesis, God begins to speak, speak to his creation. And if you remember in Genesis chapter 1, what's going on in creation? Is it ordered or is it chaos? It's complete chaos. And God begins to speak his creation into existence and he begins to put order to his creation. And he does it with Adam and Eve. God's always working with humans and bringing order from the chaos. This is God's will for his earth, for his creation. This is God's will. Yet authority, oftentimes, sometimes, is abuse. We see that, don't we? Authority moves to tyranny. We experience that. We're experiencing it right now in other places of the world. And it's tragic, isn't it? It's tragic to experience. It's tragic to see. Often the response for Christians is revolutionary war politics. Now Peter says to honor. Peter advocates a different way forward. N.T. Wright says this, serving God by living a peaceful, wise Visibly good life is in the end far more revolutionary than simply overthrowing one corrupt regime and replacing it by, well, most likely by another, as history shows. You might be saying, well, what about Daniel? Daniel didn't submit to human authority in Babylon. You're right, he didn't submit. But he was asked to actually sin. When we are asked to sin, when we are asked to go against God's will, 
we have reason to say, I will not bow down to your God. I will not worship your God. I will not surrender my will to that if it causes sin between me and my God. Daniel was a perfect example of that, of saying no in the midst of government oppression. What about the founding fathers? What about Dietrich Bonhoeffer? You don't know him? A Christian, a pastor who attempted to assassinate Adolf Hitler. What about Martin Luther King Jr., pastor? I will say this. There are times, there are times for us to wrestle with the evil in the world and the goodness of God and what we should do as Christians in the, moment, in, the, in the midst of the moment that we find ourselves in. However, we also need to wrestle with 1 Peter chapter 2 and Romans chapter 13. You might be saying, well, maybe Peter just, maybe he got off track. Maybe he wasn't, you know, speaking God's truth here. Well, unfortunately, Paul says something really similar too in another letter. Paul says in Romans chapter 13, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Verse three, for rulers hold no terror of those who do right, but for those who do wrong, do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right and you'll be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Here's what we got to wrestle with, you guys. We have to remember that anything done in the name of Jesus that does not represent Jesus will not go unnoticed by Jesus. And so for us as Christians, as we wrestle with government and we wrestle with authority we've got to ask ourselves are we actually representing jesus well because you remember where this conversation started you're going through trials remember who you are and what your purpose is because you represent jesus and you're called to live differently than the rest of the world I want to ask you this question. Even in those moments that I give examples, founding fathers, Martin Luther King Jr., Dietrich Bonhoeffer, all these different moments where maybe they live against Romans chapter 13, I want you to ask this question. What was being sown in their heart? And what is being sown in your heart? When it comes to living the life that you live in your relationship with our government, local government, national government, whatever it is, I want to ask you this question, this reflection. What is being What is the fruit that's being sown in your heart? And the next question that I want to ask is, are you actually reaching non-believers with your gospel? Do you remember when Peter, before he started in verse 13, he said, may you live as foreigners and aliens and you are called to live among the pagans, unbelievers, that they would see your good deeds, that they would look and see the foolish shock and they would go, no, Christians, they live differently. What is the seed that's being sown in your heart? And is it the seed of a priest? 
Are you reaching non-believers? Are you sharing the gospel with non-believers? And are you actually seeing them come to know Jesus and be baptized into Jesus with your behavior, your thoughts, your attitude, your actions? See, oftentimes, I look and I see Christians, and it's always social media, right? We're really strong behind the keyboard. And the seed that I see is unrighteous anger. I see fear. I see bitterness. I see slander. I see hate. I see deception. Last time I checked, none of that is the fruit of the Spirit. None of that, none of that is a marker of a disciple of Jesus. None of that is the marker of a priest. For us as Christians, we've got to ask ourselves, where are we getting our truth from and where are we actually, what are we filling our hearts and our minds with? What do you know more about? Do you know more about the news, CNN, Fox, the Constitution, or the Word of God? I've been hearing rumors that churches are actually doing Sunday school classes where they're studying the Constitution on Sundays. I just want you to think about that for a second. Studying the Constitution instead of God's written word. Who's our Lord? Is it Jesus? Or is it something else? This is what I know. I said it earlier. Anything done in the name of Jesus does not that does not represent Jesus will not go unnoticed by Jesus. Here's what I also know. Anything done in the name of Jesus that does not represent Jesus will not go unnoticed by the world either. <laughs> They're watching. They're watching how we interact. They're watching what we share. They're watching how we interact with one another, with non-believers. And Peter says, you need to honor the authority. Honor it. Now, for the sake of time, verses 18 through 20, I'm not going to address this morning. But Peter continues to have this conversation about authority, and he talks about slaves and masters. And a couple weeks ago, Joe did a great job talking about slaves and masters. I want to encourage you, if you want to dive into this a little bit more, go and listen to that sermon because he talks about the relationship of slaves and masters. And it's the same thing. Peter's just continuing on the conversation. Submission. Submission. Verse 21. He says this, To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you, what's it say up there? Leaving you what? Christ suffered and he left you an example. None of us enjoy suffering, right? I don't enjoy it. Whether I choose the suffering or don't choose the suffering, whether I choose the suffering and go to the gym and lift weights, I don't like it in the midst of that, right? I hate it. I'm like, oh, I should just go home and eat ice cream, right? <laughs> There's a Reed's Dairy in Cuna. It is ruining me. It is amazing ice cream. If you haven't been to Reed's Dairy, oh my goodness. Don't go or else you'll be there every day, okay? They've got cheese curds too, just so you know. Not just ice cream. 
But whether you choose suffering or don't choose suffering, Christ said, I, Peter's saying, Jesus left an example for us that we're called to suffer. And that goes against everything that we're taught in our American culture. Comfort. Comfort is our God in America. And Peter says that Jesus left us an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. And when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. What I find fascinating about this, and I talked about it in week one, is I love seeing the progression of Peter. Every single one of us has has decided if we're a Christian that we're going to follow Jesus and that he's made us holy. His death on the cross is what justifies us and makes us holy. Amen? You with me this morning? And we know that, and we know that because that's what the Word of God says. But we can see throughout, I talked about it two weeks ago, we can see through Peter's life, at one point, he doesn't even want to hang out with Gentiles. He believes that Gentiles are part of the church. Then he doesn't want to hang out with Gentiles. And then now he's writing to the same Gentiles he probably didn't have a meal with earlier because Paul went to his face and said, you're in the wrong, dude. And they worked that out. Peter got back on the gospel train. But I love that he writes this, that he writes and talks about Jesus, that even though, have you noticed the words? He made no threats when he suffered. Instead, he trusted himself to him who judges justly. They, they hurled insults at him. He did not retaliate. How can Peter write that? How does he know that? Because he was there. He was in the garden when they came and arrested Jesus. And you remember when they went to arrest Jesus, do you remember what Peter's response was? You remember? What did he do? He pulled out a sword and he went to the soldier and he cut off the ear of the soldier and Peter looked at him and what did he say to Peter? You live by the sword, you die by the sword. Peter, put your knife away. Peter's all confused, doesn't understand. I'm guessing Peter thought, Jesus resurrects people from the dead. We got an army. They kill people, he's just going to resurrect them. And Jesus says, no. That's not my will. That's not your will. And all these years later, Peter's writing, and he's saying, what Jesus did, his example, is our example. But not only does he do that, he quotes Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, surely he took up our pain and he bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But Jesus, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. 
Each of us have turned to our own way, and yet the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Here's what we have to remember. As Peter writes and talks about the example that Jesus was for us, that he suffered for us, he then goes on and he bridges this idea of suffering that this suffering is what actually led us to being reconciled back to God. And here's the crazy thing. What Peter's saying is that when we suffer, when we suffer for doing good, when we suffer for doing the right thing, we actually are helping and participating in bringing the world back to Jesus. God wants you to walk in the way of Jesus' submitted disciple to human authority. And when you do, and you suffer, you actually participate in the sufferings of Jesus. And when you participate in the sufferings of Jesus, you're actually helping restore the world back to Jesus. And is there anything greater than being a part of that? Physically, no, it's horrible. But as foreigners and aliens, as priests, we actually then live in the mission of Jesus most important thing that we've been called to to help bring the world back to him even if it means losing our life even if it means losing our job and yet we wrestle I wrestle because oftentimes God in my life is comfort. It's stability. It's security. It's, the, it's everything the opposite of what Jesus actually lived out for us. You and I are called to be disciples of Jesus that follow Jesus' example of submission by walking in humility and entrusting ourselves to God. And I just want to ask this question, bottom line this morning as we wrap up. When it comes to you and when it comes to Christians, are the political attitudes of Christians toward government so positive and so respectful that other people admire us for it? Is that how they see us? That they admire us for it? That doesn't mean we agree. That doesn't mean that we are okay with things that are happening. Doesn't mean that we don't have a little bit of fear or worry. But do we honor? And does the world look and say, man, those Christians, they believe a lot of weird stuff. But they sure do honor and respect authority. Is that what we're defined by? And if not, Peter would say, we have a problem. We've got to actually look at our hearts. We've actually got to look at how we're walking this out and what we're actually showing the world. We're called to walk differently than the rest of the world. We're called to surrender, not control. We're called to humility, not pride. When we fall in the way of Jesus, we participate in actually reaching the world for Jesus. Are you up for that? As we wrap up this morning... I just have one question for you on take home. It's the same question I had at men's breakfast yesterday as a bunch of guys got together and we talked about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. That a disciple of Jesus is someone who's following Jesus 
being changed by Jesus and committed to the mission of Jesus. And that comes from Matthew 4.19 for us at Real Life. Because Jesus went to his disciples and he said, come follow me and I'm going to make you a fisher of men. Come follow me and I'm going to make you a fisher of men. Then it's a process and a growth process of transformation. Just like we see from Peter. Peter's growing and changing all throughout the New Testament. We get to see how he grows and changes. We get to see what Peter wrestles with. We get to see the transformation take place. So for all of us, disciples of Jesus, we're following Jesus as Lord. He's changing us as we surrender ourselves to him. And he's moving us to a place where we become disciple makers. Because Jesus said, go and make disciples. Go be a fisher of men, a fisher of people. So when it comes to this topic of honoring authority, where are you at with it? And here's the question. What do you need to surrender? What do you need to surrender in order to be a disciple that shows honor? What does it look like? And in that, how does it lead to you showing the world what Jesus is like? What do you need to surrender? I invite you just to bow your heads and communicate with Jesus this morning about that.